Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported. That means we truly depend on you in order to bring this resource to you. If you don't already support us financially, you could do so. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. You'll see our three friendly yellow buttons there. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. Click on one of them and fill that out. If you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, September 25th, 2018. Heresy hurricane season. Oh, man. Always concurs. It parallels the actual hurricane season. Both of them seem to be off the chain this year. That's that's the way I can put it. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of really crazy things being said out there, and we take the time to open up God's Word, to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolates, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, that's teaching that's put forward for consumption by the average evangelical, far from biblical, far from what God's Word says, in fact, truth seems to be uh, supremely lacking nowadays in so many places that call themselves Bible-believing churches. And uh, it's actually quite discouraging and sad. And what we're trying to do here is to warn you, to, to take pick you out of the fire, if you would, uh, because this stuff is really dangerous, like dangerous in the way of like can send you to hell kind of dangerous. And this is the kind of stuff to be avoided as if the devil himself were the one preaching this stuff because Scripture warns in the last days that uh, you know, it would be overrun with doctrines of demons. <laughs> Let's just say they're they're all over there. They're all over the church today. So, all right, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm looking at the theme here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if any of you want to, like, blow a whistle on the play and say, you know what, Rosebro, um, we're not sure if... The uh, Tuesday, September 25th episode actually had a bona fide theme. Uh, 
Now, if you were to challenge me on it, I would say duly noted. Duly, duly noted, I do have a theme, and I'm stretching the thematic butter really, really thinly. It just, yeah, I'm just spreading it way. <laughs> there technically is a theme. Um, it's going to be a little bit on the obtuse side as far as <clears throat> recognizing it. But that's not my problem. That's yours. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, so... Uh... <laughs> It's just like such a wrong attitude. Anyway, yeah, that's right. I'm the one who came up with the defective theme, and it's your fault if you can't figure it out. Yeah, that's how that works here at Fighting for the Faith. <laughs> oh, man. And I think the heresy is having an impact on my mental capacities. Anyway, um, we're going to start off with a uh, Phil Clemens uh, you know, uh, update. And you're not familiar with this guy. He's... Uh, Kind of makes the rounds in evangelicalism. I think I've covered him a few times. And uh, he uh, recently uh, preached at Faith Church St. Louis, also headquarters for Crank Ministries. (laughs) That's what they've renamed their ministry. I am not making that up. They have renamed their ministry Crank (laughs) Ministries. Okay, I I gotta pull myself together. <laughs> you know, some of this stuff is just so bizarre. You couldn't write comedy this bizarre if you tried. It's just so weird out there. Anyway, Phil Clemens made an appearance at Crank Ministries, and the and the message is blessing blockers. Oh man. <laughs> okay. Hold yourself together. It's just it's just so absurd. And then the the fact that this is a mega church and there were a whole, you know, tens of thousands of people, you know, at the mega church, and then this is stuff is broadcast on the internet as well as television. Oh man. Anyway, so we'll be listening to "Blessing Blockers" by Phil Clemens, chiming in along the way. Uh, then we're gonna take a hard turn into a strange direction. Uh, Terry Savelle Foy update. And her uh, her video blog titled "Audacity to Pursue Impossible Dreams," like that has anything to do with Christianity? Um, if we have time, and that's kind of the uh, the thing, I've got a, a wild card in here, and if we don't get to it today, I'll throw it into an episode, uh, hopefully later in the week or next week. Uh, Doctor Cindy Trim, uh, and the name of the message is "Walking Out Your Destiny." <sighs> yeah, and her the, what she does with the Bible in this is actually uh, just what what is it when doc is malpractice? This is like this is pastoral malpractice, doctor malpractice on the part of Cindy Trim, and uh, and then we're gonna do a segment. Uh, we're gonna take a little bit of a closer look at Chris Valentin. And what I mean by that is we're going to go back into the archives of Sid Roth's It's Supernatural, and I want you to hear, I want you to listen to this bizarre story that uh, that Chris Valentin tells about himself. And just as you listen to this, I'm noticing more and more people who, in the charismatic movement, who... who are openly discussing episodes earlier in their lives 
where it's very clear they needed like severe mental health you know, professional intervention or therapy or psychotherapy or something like that. Chris Valentin, no different. So we'll go back in time, listen to uh, part of the story, and then play for you a recent just like dumb prophecy by Chris Valentin where he he sounds like – you know, like Cindy Jacobs, he sounds like Patricia King. He sounds, I mean, it's it, it, the so-called prophecy. It has all of the major themes we've seen from other bizarre false prophets, it, including word buzzwords that are on our prophecy bingo card and have been for a while. And uh, then in hour number two, we're heading to C3 Church San Diego as we listen to Dana Adams, a volunteer at C3. Yeah, she's a volunteer uh, preach a sermon titled Called to Resurgence. Called to Resurgence. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. We got we got a lot of ground we need to cover. And uh, since we're going to start off with a Phil Clemens update, let's play this music. Oh, it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as long as I do it with a flair. What effect a little smoke is with a dash of hocus-pocus and the scent of burning sulfur in the air. I'm a fraud, a hoax, a charlatan, a joke, but they love me everywhere. For it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as long as I do it with a flair. Yeah, that's right. doesn't matter what I say or what I do as long as I do it with a flair. So uh, we're heading over to Crank Ministries. Yeah, I'm not making that up. Look it up. You, if you were to go to YouTube right now and t- <laughs> do a search for Faith Church St. Louis, the channel that would come up is titled Crank Ministries. <laughs> I, like I said, I'm not making that up. So uh, we're going to be listening to Phil Clemens and his uh, recent sermon titled Blessing blockers. Yeah, not making that up. Here we go. Give it up for Jesus one time in this place. Oh, come on. Is that all the shout you got for Jesus? Man, talk about emotional manipulation there. Come on now. I'm excited about today. You know, I uh, was preparing this message and and a couple weeks ago I kind of wrote it down and then uh, preach it last night. And then this morning I got up and the Lord said, Hey, I, I want you to change it. And, uh, I was like, nah, I'm good. And, uh, <laughs> so he has conversational direct revelation with God almighty. And when God tells him to do something, he says, no, does, does, does anyone listening to my voice suffer from incredulity at this point going, whoa, wait a second. You know, I seem to recall, um, you you familiar with the story of Balaam? Yeah, you you may have heard it pronounced Balaam. Uh, Balaam, Balaam's donkey. You're familiar with the story, right? Well, everybody knows that God spoke through Balaam's donkey, but what they don't pay attention to is uh, is really kind of the essence of the uh, the story itself, which is oh so interesting. And uh, what I mean by that is is that uh, Balaam, 
uh, is uh, is a fellow who, well, he's not a legitimate prophet. And uh, he has been hired uh, to curse Israel. And the story itself is recorded for us in Numbers 22. By the way, that was my... uh, my program, my my Bible program, I kept hitting a, making a typo when I was typing in the search bar what I was looking for. It kept going bonk, bonk. Anyway, Numbers 22, verse 1 says this. Then the people of Israel set out and they camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites in Moab and was in great dread of the people because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel, and Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was the king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to Balaam and uh, the son of Baor at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the people of Ammah. Uh, to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth. They are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand. Yeah, you're going to note that <clears throat> Balaam is a prophet for prophet. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why the book of Jude mentions him as like a major category of false teacher to avoid. So he's, he's not a Christian He's not a prophet of God by any stretch of the imagination. He and God, up to this point, have never spoken to each other. And so that's what makes the story oh so interesting. So they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as Yahweh speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. And then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent me, saying, Behold, the people has come out of Egypt, and it covers the face of the earth. Now come and curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. Now note here that uh, up to this point, Balaam's standard way of communicating with the deity is to basically put on a pretense. You know, oh, let me let me conjure up and talk to uh, to Ashira for you. And so, you know, and, and he has a conversation with Ashira, and it's basically acting, you know. So picks up the phone. Yeah, is this Ashira? Yeah, this is Balaam. How are you doing? Oh, good, good. Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking, you know. and And so he just has a conversation with himself you know, act, play acting. But this time he's done his rigmarole and now God himself, the real God, the one true God, is now having a conversation with Balaam. And this is not what he expected. He's about to make good money if he curses the people of Israel, but God himself has now appeared and is speaking directly 
to him. An uncomfortable situation, to say the least. So uh, Balaam says, Behold, the people has come out of Egypt. It covers the face of the earth. Now come curse them. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. So God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, uh, Go to your own land, for Yahweh has refused to let me go with you. So the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. So once again, Balak sent princes more in number and more honorable than these, and they came to Balaam and said, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will surely do you great honor. And whatever you say to me, I will do. Come curse this people for me. But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of Yahweh my God to do less or more. And you'll note, if you read the story, eventually this fellow is killed by the Israelites for his witchcraft. But anyway, so here he's having a conversation with God and the uh, the let's just say the experience of it all has left him unnerved and he's turning away what his favorite thing in the world is money and he's at this point literally not about to cross the one true god and is even talking about yahweh as his own god now i mean but he is he hasn't truly repented and he doesn't really have faith in god But you kind of get the point. You can read the rest of the story in Numbers 21. But all of that is to say that here we have, we are 30 seconds into this sermon by Pastor Phil Clemens at Crank Ministries. (laughs) And he's claiming that God told him to change his message. And his response was, yeah, no, I'm all right. No way. No way. If the one true God literally came to you and said, that message you're going to preach, you're not preaching that one. You're preaching a different one. You better believe that the the encounter itself would leave you shaking in your boots and you wouldn't be talking back to God like you were some three-year-old. But yeah, that that's what Phil Clemens is doing here. And uh, preach it last night, and then this morning I got up and the Lord said, "Hey, I, I want you to change it." And uh, I was like, "No, nah, I'm good." And uh, <laughs> and he's like, "No, you're I, you're going to change it." And I was like, "No, seriously, I'm good." Uh, and then have your parents ever told you something three times? And you know that third time. Yeah, that's weird. It only took Balaam one time, not three, only once. Weird. You're not hearing from God, dude. Whatever it is that's speaking to you, that ain't God. So the third time I was like, you know what I feel like I should do is change it. Um, So today I want to talk to you. How many guys are in here and you're believing God for something to happen in your life? Now, note what's really going on here. This is now the revised message that God wanted him to deliver. In other words, um, this whole message has God's stamp of approval on it. No point questioning it, challenging it, testing it. No, none of that. I mean, 
God told Phil Clemens this is the message he's going to preach. So this this message has approval going all the way up to the top, to the very you know to the Trinity himself. Fantastic! Come on, Weldon. You're believing God for something to happen in your life. You're believing for a blessing to come in your life. Today, I want to talk to you here online at Weldon about the blessing blockers that happen in your life. Really? Really? If there were such things as blessing blockers, I'm pretty sure I'd be able to find that really easily. In my Bible. So I'm going to go through these and maybe you can find a couple of them that you're believing God for something to happen, but there may be a block in the blessing. Now you, you may be familiar with this text, but we're going to go there anyway. Matthew nine, verse 27, it says, and as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him crying aloud. Everybody say crying aloud. aloud. Say it again. Say crying aloud. aloud. (coughs) I need water. Um, they were physically blind, right? Praise God. Talk amongst yourselves for just a second. The topic is Jesus. And how good he's been to you. You're not talking to each other, so I'm assuming that he's not been very good to you, but you alive today. Come on, somebody. You breathe today. Go TD Jake's on you guys here in a minute. Um, it says he was crying aloud. He was crying aloud. They were crying out to God. They needed something to happen. And so they were crying out to God. They were not worried about who was around them. They were not focused on who was around them. They were merely saying, I need something from Jesus. So I'm going to cry out to him. Now understand in this context and in this time, if you were blind, they put a robe over top of you to designate as you as blind. So not only are they physically blind, but now everyone is looking at them and they are kind of cast out. Have you ever felt casted out? By the way, being physically blind is not listed in the Mosaic Covenant as something that makes you unclean the way a leper is unclean. So, yeah, this guy's biblical scholarship is um, it's seriously lacking. But they were not worried about what other people thought. They were merely focused on what they needed to receive from Jesus. So as they were crying out to him, a blocker that can happen in your life is pride. What? 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 Where in this account in Matthew 9 of these blind men is pride listed as one of the blockers that was keeping them from actually, you know, receiving a healing from Christ? Yeah, let's take a look at the text in question, Matthew nine twenty seven. As Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him crying aloud, have Mercy on us, son of David. Kyrie eleison. Lord, have mercy. 
Have mercy upon us, son of David. Great prayer, by the way. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him. So notice the the blind men actually came into the house. The reason why is because they weren't required to cry out, unclean, unclean. Yeah, no, they, they weren't even kept from seeing Jesus. They were escorted into the house. So when he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. So then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith be it done to you. And their eyes were open, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. So you'll note, that here that's the account, but there it is in its entirety in Matthew 9. No mention of any pride issues, any blessing blockers or anything like that. I'm not sure how Phil Clemens discovered the pride blessing blocker in Matthew 9. It seems to be mysteriously missing from the text. But then again, you know, God's the one who told him to change the message to this. So who are we to question God? Pride can stop you from receiving from God. Why? Because in James 4, verse 6, it says he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud. Yes, he he does. But that has nothing to do with blessing blocking. What exactly are you talking about, by the way? You're expecting some blessing from God, but it's being blocked. What does that even mean? He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The Bible also says that Jesus humbled himself even unto death, even to the cross. Yeah, see, Jesus didn't have anything blocking his blessings. (laughs) And you can't exactly look at Jesus' life and say, there you go, there's an example of a blessed life. He was despised, hated by men, persecuted. I mean, even when he was born, Herod was seeking to kill him. I mean, just just by the fact of his mere presence on planet Earth, the devil was doing his best to kill him. And you know, and then constantly the Pharisees and the Sadducees and and uh, you know the the leaders of Israel they they were out for him too and constantly driving him down. They eventually had him arrested and and they crucified him. You see, you know, he doesn't seem like a guy, maybe, well, although Jesus humbled himself, I mean, why didn't he experience the blessings, you know? What what blessing blockers were keeping Jesus from having his best life now, you know? Curious about that. Jesus humbled himself. See, God will resist the proud. He'll resist that pride that's in our life. He actually says, there's six things, you know, seven that I hate. The first one, a proud look. Yeah, God hates pride. The the one who exalts himself, God will humble. The one who humbles himself, God will exalt. But what does this have to do with blessing blockers? God can't deal with pride. Because it'll block the blessing that happens in your life. Why? Because yeah, it'll do more than that. <laughs> the kind of pride that's been discussed in these passages, it'll send you to hell, dude. You get to a spot to where you think that you can achieve something without Jesus. Uh, yeah, that's not what that means. No, not at all. This guy is utterly clueless. 
and he has God talking directly to him, and he sasses God and tells God no when he, when God talks to him. Yeah, I don't believe any of it. This guy has not been sent by God. This message is not sent by God. This message is not approved by God. This man is lying and deceiving. And by the way, he's breaking that commandment that says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That's exactly what Phil Clemens was doing there at Crank Ministries very recently. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, uh, we'll be uh, hearing from Terry Savelle Foy and Chris Vallett, and we'll have to save Cindy Trim. For a future episode. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity, we need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select. God's word I put on shows that do better on Broadway. Have you seen the Lion King? It'll be here on Sunday. It twists God's word, it puts on shows that do better on Broadway. Have you seen the Lion King? It'll be here on Sunday. He's the heretic and he's okay. He schemes all night and he lies all day. Twist God's word, I take your tithe and spend it on private jets. Have you seen my bank account? It's bigger than yours, I'll bet. Twist God's word, he takes your tithe and spends it on private jets. Have you seen his bank account? It's bigger than yours, I'll bet. He's the heretic, and he's okay. He's all night, and he lies all day. 
twist God's word. I write bad books that will land you all in hell. I'll never say I'm sorry, cause I'll be there as well. He twists God's word, he writes bad books that will land us all in hell. Oh, Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. Click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Hey, everyone. It's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society, and it's, it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee. And it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to Gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that people who think that God's speaking to them inside of their heads, they're not hearing from God. No way. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew, the other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew, and rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month, and then Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a fantastic way 
to support Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio and Pirate Christian Media. Of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, click on the Donate button. If you'd like to become a patron on Patreon, click on the Become a Patron button. If you would like to support us the traditional way, you can do so by clicking uh, by making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then sending it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along. Hiya, Bobby. Hi, Ken. You want to go for a ride? Sure, Ken. Jump in. I'm a Bobby girl in the Bobby world. Black in plastic. It's fantastic. You can brush my hair. Yeah, that's right. That can mean only one one thing. We're going to be heading over to the YouTube channel and video blog of Terry Savelle Foy. And um, hang on to your hats. Uh, the the question before us is: Do you have audacity to pursue impossible dreams? To dream the impossible dream, you know things like that. <clears throat> Here's Terry <laughs> Savelle Foy. Hey, I'm Terry Savelle Foy, and you're watching Live Your Dreams. I pray that as you invest in yourself today, that you're captivated and you're catapulted to live your dreams. You know, was- now, a little bit of a note here. If I were investing in myself, I wouldn't invest in myself by applying anything to my life that Terry Savelle Foy teaches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that would not be an investment in myself. That would be the opposite of an investment you know that would be like you know speculating in you know in weird pork belly futures or something like that you know pork belly futures from slovenia it just it's not it's not going to work well for you that's not an investment that's 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 something that's very dangerous reading something recently and it was all this study about the bumblebee uh. Now, what they said was that the laws of aerodynamics have proven that the bumblebee cannot fly. They said his body is too big, his wings are too short, he can't get enough lift. <laughs> According to the data, it's impossible for the bumblebee to fly. He- and, and, and yet, the bumblebee flies. What are we to make of this? I would basically say God knows what he's doing. He created the bumblebee, and quite frankly, I don't like you know, being in their vicinity. (laughs) And half the year here in North Dakota, you know, it's frozen. You know, I live in American Siberia. So, you know, there, there is not a bumblebee issue during the cold months. During the warm months, they do have a tendency to show up. And generally when bumblebees start buzzing around me, like I'm on a walk or something like that, outside um it's i'm getting really uncomfortable and and you know they've been known to like like run into me like you know like then you gotta run you you gotta (laughs) so you know so here's the thing god made them this way they fly so i'm 
pretty sure the people who said aerodynamically they're not capable of it, they need to go back and you know to the drawing board and recalculate because bumblebees are not sitting there doing trigonometry. They're not they're not sitting there with a slide rule and a calculator working out the, the the laws of aerodynamics as it relates to their their ginormous bodies and their small wings. They just fly. You know, that's what they do. Here's the thing. Nobody told the bumblebee. <laughs> Something in his DNA just says, I was born to fly. Well, I believe you have the DNA of Almighty God on the inside of you. And there. Uh, um, what? I, I have the DNA of God inside of me? Do you have a biblical text that says that? Because Scripture makes it very clear that we are born dead and in trespasses and sins. And then Jesus says something very interesting uh, to those who are not believers in him. And it's, uh, here, there I go again, I typo, I got to make sure I <clears throat> do this properly. In John chapter 8, there it is. John chapter 8, Jesus says to the people who do not believe in him, some very, very strong words. And this is a fascinating text, by the way. Um, and in fact, I'm going to back this up just a little bit because I, I want to get the context. Um, so I'll start um, in verse 34. Here's what Jesus says, and you'll note that Jesus doesn't say, you have the DNA of God inside of your heart. Nothing of the sort. So Jesus answered them, truly, truly, amen, amen. I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now I know that you are offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. So they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, well, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works your father did. And they said, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my words. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. So which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Yeah, pretty strong words there. And by saying that the devil was their father, Jesus was pretty much, if we're talking about DNA here, you know, 
if uh, the devil is your daddy, then uh, you got the devil's DNA down inside of you. And that's the state of all of us prior to being regenerated, prior to being brought to penitent faith in Christ. But so here, Terry Savelle Foy on her video blog is just announcing to everybody, you got the DNA of God down on the inside of you. No, you don't. Something in your nature that says I was born to pursue impossible dreams. I was born to do more with my life. In fact, I want to talk to you today about developing that kind of audacity that just believes what's impossible with man is possible with God. And that's something the Lord dealt with me about. I kept hearing that word, audacity, audacity. And, you know, you normally think of that in a negative way, like the audacity. Yeah, audacity generally is a negative word. Audacity. But the Lord said, that's what I want you to have is that kind of faith that just says, Lord, I don't know how this could ever happen, but I have the audacity to believe. You said God said that to you. Where did he say that? It's not found in the Bible. Well, I always tell people, if your dreams are possible, you're not dreaming big enough. If you're dr- yeah, Where is that in Scripture? If your dreams are possible, you're not dreaming big enough. What about the lady who wants to be a stay-at-home mom? Or the guy who's perfectly satisfied? You know, getting up every day and going to work, blue-collar job. Maybe he's working for, you know, the, the city parks and is, you know, picking up leaves. Or maybe he's got a business where he's mowing grass. Or maybe he's picking up garbage. Or maybe, he, some you know, somebody's working on the cashier line at Walmart. And they're paying their bills. Their kids are going to school. Everyone's fed. Everyone's clothed. Everyone has a roof over their heads. And, you know, granted, you're not buying stuff from Nordstrom's, but everybody is taking care of your needs. And and your desire is to continue to serve your family by faithfully being a good employee or good stay-at-home mom. Hmm. Yeah, that's, those don't sound like big, audacious dreams to me. And yet God's word so clearly says that the people who are doing those things are doing good works that are pleasing in his sight. Why are you running people down regarding the ordinary life that God has called us to and telling us that we have to, that God has told us that we've got to dream big dreams that are impossible? Dreams are possible. You're not dreaming big enough. In fact, I've heard Kenneth and Gloria Copeland both say, Kenneth and Gloria Copeland are both heretics. In fact, I've heard Kenneth and Gloria Copeland both say, anytime we've ever set out to do something, every time we set out to do it, it was impossible when we first stepped out. Well, here's the thing. Yeah, here's the thing. All the possible things that they did. Impossible means money in their world. Uh, the reason why they were the impossible became possible, you know, like bu- buying multiple private jets is because they are teaching for shameful gain things that ought not to be taught. They are making merchandise of people by perverting and making void the word of God. If it were possible, it wouldn't require faith. And doesn't the Bible say that it's impossible to please God without faith? Total twisting of Hebrews 11.6. Yeah, so it's impossible to please God unless you dream an impossible dream? That's not what Hebrews 11.6 is talking about. We are saved by grace through faith alone. 
He's talking about saving faith. That's the divine author of uh, Hebrews. And so, I mean, this is this is horrible. So, I mean, consider the implications. So, if I'm not dreaming a big dream for my life, I'm not pleasing God. No, that's not what the referent is referring to. So, if your dream looks impossible, you have no idea how you could ever pay that debt off. You probably got the right dream because it's going to put a demand on your faith to develop audacity. What's really weird is that... Um, this is the exact same doctrine that Rick Warren taught during the 40 days of community, you know, which was the follow-up to the 40 days of purpose, you know, program that they did. Yeah, 40 days of community. If you can find the DVD set for that, Rick Warren teaches this exact false doctrine. And you know, God never meant for you to just reach a certain level and just plateau. How do you know that? God never meant for you to reach a certain level and plateau. How do you know that? The reason I ask is because Scripture so clearly gives instructions on how to do good works that it even lists out that there are some people that the way they do their good works, well, they're, they're slaves. They don't even own themselves. And so you hear over and again in Ephesians 6, 5, says, Slaves. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or he's a slave or he's, or he's free. Yeah. So what she just said is absolutely false, you know, because the scripture is very clear. There are people who are going to do their good works as slaves, and they're going to plateau. Yeah, slaves remain slaves. They plateau. They yeah. They don't. They, they don't have career moves. You see what I'm saying here? Never meant for you to just park somewhere and settle where you are. So in says who? Words. If getting out of debt looks absolutely impossible, then get the audacity to go for it, to be debt-free. Which might be a wise financial move, just saying. Um, but how is getting out of debt an impossible dream? I mean, millions of people have done it. How, how are you saying that that's somehow an impossible thing? Or maybe it's losing weight. If losing weight looks impossible because you've tried and failed. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. You've, you see, dieting, yeah, there, there's an impossible. And see, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if you don't have a big enough dream to get small enough, then you're not pleasing God. This is ridiculous. Then tried and failed and you're so fed up with the whole process, then get the audacity to weigh your ideal body weight. Or maybe a marriage that needs restored and it looks impossible because you've been praying. Yeah, none of the things she's saying are impossible. This is weird. Okay, I think you get the point. <sighs> moving along. Yes, it's time for a Bethel Church, Redding, California update. The truth it is out there somewhere. It's not at Bethel. 
but it is out there somewhere. We're going to be heading into the archives of Sid Roth's It's Supernatural. Back in the day when a much younger Chris Vallotton appeared on the program with the much younger Sid Roth. And as we listen to this um, story that we're going to be regaled with, it sounds to me like Chris Vallotton is somebody who is not mentally well. We're hearing a lot of stories from people who claim to be hearing directly from God with backstories similar to this one. We back off on the music. Here's Sid Roth to introduce Chris Vallotton. Hello, I'm Sid Roth, an investigative reporter. It's hard to believe. How can uh, an intelligent family man, a, a manager doing well in his business, uh, a, a Christian, uh, loves the Lord, uh, how does he just suddenly start shaking with fear and it just doesn't stop every day? I mean, were you really, were you really shaking or just, what, what were you doing, Chris Valentin? I shook so bad, I couldn't get a glass of water to my face without holding it with two hands. I just trembled like an alcoholic, but I never drank a day in my life. How, how, how did it start? One night I came home from work, got in the bathtub. When I went to get out of the bathtub, my heart started pounding. Mm -hmm. I started shaking all over. I, I yelled for my wife. She came in the bathroom. She tried to help me out of the tub. I just I shook so bad I had no strength in my legs or any of my limbs, and that lasted three and a half years. It, but three and a half years of uncontrollable shaking. This sounds like a psychiatric version of of a of a major anxiety disorder. I'm just saying, yeah, with people who are displaying these kind of symptoms. They need serious help. How do you survive on such limited sleep? Oh, it was terrible. I, I would I would get in the bed at night, and I would I was just trembling all the time, kind of like an Irish setter. <laughs> I would just tremble all the time. I'd get in bed at night, and I would sweat profusely, so bad that my wife would have to get up in the middle of the night. I'd finally the sweat would finally cover her side of the bed. It'd wake her up in the middle of the night. She'd get up two and three times a night and just change the sheets because I trembled so bad. And you know how just loony you get when you when you haven't slept, and I went like that for three and a half years. Did you take any? So so three and a half years sleep deprived from major anxiety, shaking uncontrollably, three years. This guy sounds like somebody who needs or needed to be seen by some pretty heavy duty mental health professionals, and just keep in mind that he now claims to hear the voice of God in his head. You know, God talks directly to him. He claims to be a prophet. Mm-hmm. The uh, uh, legal drugs for this? I, we called the doctor that night. It was, of course, late at night, mm -hmm. probably 10, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. We called our family doctor, and he said, oh, it sounds like he's had an anxiety attack. And he told me, told my wife, he said, go get him some, some alcohol. It'll calm him down. <laughs> Did you drink much? I never drank. I've never, I took a drink from my grandfather's beer when I was probably eight, nine years old. Never took drugs, never touched drugs, never smoked, never did dope, nothing. So we went out, we got, all we could find was wine so late at night. Got a bottle of wine. I drank half the bottle of wine. 
All it did is make me sick. I still shook. Went the next yeah for three years. Day to, to the doctor, and he gave me he prescribed some tranquilizers. I took those one time, and they they just they slowed me way down. But my shaking still continued, and they really depressed me. So I carried. So it sounds to me like you have a malpractice suit here. I mean, they probably should have um, done a far more intense and extensive uh, psych eval on you, Chris. I'm with me everywhere. In fact, I carried those pills in my pocket for three and a half years. The and never pills took depressed you. Oh, totally. They took me. They took me to depression and didn't and just look. anxiety, depression. And the only thing they prescribed were tranquilizers and a bottle of wine. Hmm. This doesn't sound right to me, but let me just take it at face value. And this is a fellow who clearly has a mental issue. The trembling down. I carried him with me. I mean, I how could this happen to you? You're, you're, everything's going fine and you become a mess in every area of your life. You know what happened? I'll tell you. When I was in the bathtub, I had a thought. Now, this sounds crazy, but I had a thought, and I don't know if, you, if anyone's ever had this happen to him. I had a thought that I was going to die. It was stronger than a thought. You know, it was like, a, it, it was like an obsession. Never had that before. Uh, it's kind of interesting. You t- so an anxiety, fear of death, depression. Mm-hmm. Right, and he now hears voices in his head that he thinks are from God. told me that your dad died at a young age. My dad, my dad, six months before he died, every night he would wake up and tell my mom, I know I'm going to die, I know I'm going to die, I know I'm going to die. And my dad drowned when I was three years old. My dad was a phys ed teacher. My dad was, played for UC Berkeley, played football for UC Berkeley, got drafted by the pros but chose to finish his, his, uh, his degree went into teaching, taught phys ed, and drowned as a phys ed teacher in Anderson Dam, which is like drowning in a 10 times Olympic-sized pool. So, by the way, losing your dad is going to, in, under those circumstances, at such a young age, that's going to have a severe negative impact on you. You know, we can talk about anxiety, you can talk about separation disorders and things like that. Hmm. Yeah, exactly how he exactly six months after you started waking up. So, and so you just started getting this thought, and then this 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 fear came all over you. So you thought if you went to a small city, maybe things would slow down the pace, and if everything be okay, how did it work out? Yeah, what, I was living in San Jose, California. We, you know, everything was. Of course, the the Bay Area is just busy, big city. I was managing a repair shop, 13 guys working for me. And I thought, well, my problem is is that, that I'm under all this stress. Mm-hmm. So I moved to a, a town called Lewiston, California, 800 people in the Trinity Alps. And what happened was, instead of it getting better, it got worse. Whenever- so it got worse. Morbid fear of death, uh, obsession with death anxiety, uncontrollable shaking, not sleeping. And yeah, I I think you're getting the picture here. And this guy now claims to be a prophet of God and he hears God talking to him directly. He hears voices in his head. Yeah, Let's uh, fast forward to a, uh, 
a uh, a prophecy given February of last year. February of last year. Here's Chris Vallotton, and if you want to grab a prophecy bingo card, you can. You'll note that some of the things he's going to say are going to show up on the prophecy bingo card. I mean, this is about as like boilerplate charismatic pablum prophecy that you can imagine. Here is uh, Chris Vallotton. I believe we're in a Kairos moment. I don't mean this second. (laughs) You think we're in a Kairos moment, really? Now, a little bit of a note here is that in biblical Greek, there are two kind of words, there are two words that are primarily used for telling time. Uh, one is chronos, and so when you think of minutes or hours, that's the time. That's so. This is the reason why watches are called chronometers. You know, they 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 measure uh, chronos, chronos time. Now the other is is like if it's the season of fall, fall, then fall is a season, and you know summer is a season. You know that, and so you could talk about. So we have kind of the same concept, but for Chris Vallotton to sit there and say, "I believe we're in a Kairos moment," that's an oxymoron. It, it, yeah, that in fact, it's it doesn't even make any sense at all. It's worse than jumbo shrimp. Okay, just kind of think of it that way. There's no such thing as a Kairos moment. We don't talk about. And then there was this moment, and all of a sudden. It was fall. And then we had like a summer moment. You, you know, no one talks this way. Um, so, yeah, he, he doesn't know what he's saying. And by the way, I've heard this from hundreds of people claiming to be prophets today. I mean, this is like boilerplate standard nonsense. And it's fascinating that Chris Vallotton, clearly he's gotten over his anxiety disorder uh-huh. Uh but he, again, he doesn't sound like he was mentally well and yet he's claiming to hear directly from God. See if you can make heads or tails of this. In this season. And I think it's going to be marked by three things. Mm-hmm. I think this Kairos will be marked by three things. I would encourage you to take notes. Number 1, acceleration. R- really. It's going to be noted by uh, marked by acceleration. Oh, uh, suddenly you mean? Yeah, if I had $5 for every time I've heard somebody claiming to be a prophet of God using these exact words, I would have a ton of money, a lot. Things that normally take years to happen, happen suddenly. Things that normally take years, happen suddenly. Let me remind you of Nehemiah's walls. Yeah, now notice, he's, he's not actually prophesying anything specific. He's not, he's not saying, you, Jane, over there, God has said that that house that you're building, that the contract got stalled, that God's going to now remove the impediments and that it's gonna ha- the rest of the building is going to happen quickly. No, no, no. This is some generic one-size-fits-all. It's a prophetic onesie. And uh, if, you, you know, if you're thinking of a onesie, think of Ralphie. You know, from uh, you know, Christmas Story, wearing the pink menagerie bunny suit. 
Uh, yeah, that, that that's the, so. This is a prophetic onesie. One size fits all. It can mean anything to anybody. So are you, are you having a delay on your breakthrough? Don't worry. There's a season of acceleration now coming. Uh-huh. You'll probably remember the story in the book of Nehemiah that Nehemiah is is he's he's in he's serving Exousius. Exousius, please. Anyway, <laughs> just oh man. Zeusius, yeah, it's it's worth at least taking a look here. Nehemiah chapter one. Oh, I pulled up Nahum. I keep yeah, uh, Nehemiah. There we go. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakala. All right, let's see here. Yeah, we're looking for the name of the person he was serving. I was cupbearer to the king. Artaxerxes, yeah, that's his name. Zeusius. <laughs> Zuzu. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this is a mess. Anyway, let's keep going. He's the same king in which Esther and Mordecai serve. Okay. He hears that Israel has been restored. He thinks things are well, but one of his brothers comes to him and says the walls are destroyed, the gates are burning with fire. Now, granted... You know, at the end of the day, when you read the uh, the story of Nehemiah and the building of the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem, yeah, it happened fairly quickly. But that's a historical narrative. That's a descriptive text. It's not a prescriptive text. Just because the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt quickly, swiftly under the leadership of Nehemiah, doesn't mean that now there's a Kairos moment, which is nonsense and the kairos moment there's going to be acceleration and suddenly in stuff yeah again this is boilerplate charismatic nonsense nehemiah begins to weep he begins to call out to god and god says go back to israel he's the cupbearer to a, a foreign king and the lord and he goes to the foreign king and says listen this is what's happening and the king says i commission you to go back and help your people he goes back and he surveys the walls. By the way, the walls have been torn down for 152 years. For 70 years, the Israelites have tried to rebuild the walls complete, completely with, with no success whatsoever. Nehemiah gets there. He begins to pray. God gives him a strategy. You should read Nehemiah, especially chapter... God gives him a strategy. Yeah. Spoken like a true apostle. <clears throat> Yeah, he, they're part of the NAR there at Bethel. There's one through six. It's a great, it's it's a great opportunity to look at the strategies of God in a Kairos moment. Nehemiah, be- there is no such thing as a Kairos moment. That's an absurdity. Begins to build a strategy, a God strategy. The enemy begins to, as you know, begin to taunt him and try to scare him as they. Yeah, if you have a God strategy, you know. Yeah, you got to be careful because then the enemy's going to send people to taunt you and stuff. Uh-huh. As he's done for 70 years. But here's the cool thing. Nehemiah rebuilds the walls in 52 days, and Nehemiah doesn't know a thing about rebuilding walls. But he knows a lot about Kairos moments. They rebuild walls in 52 days that have been torn down for 152 years, mm-hmm. and for 70 years they've tried to construct them. And in 52 days, Nehemiah rebuilds the walls. I'd like to propose to you that things are going to happen in your life 
that, you, that the doctor said, this will take 10 years. You... Really? Because it took 52 days to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. If the doctor said it's going to take 10 years for you, whatever is ailing you, to work itself out of your system, that no, 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 suddenly moments, because, you know, Kairos moments and thingies. This is nonsense. This, I mean, seriously, this is gobbledygook. It's not even lucid what he's saying. It's not exegetical. It's not a proper handling of God's word. And from a guy who has a history of, you know, mental issues, just pointing it out. I have to live with this pain. You've been in poverty for five generations. And I want to propose to you that what you thought you might have to save for. And by the way, I'm into saving. I'm into working hard. Everybody knows me, right? But there's going to be an end suddenly. And what should it There's going to be a suddenly, yeah. What other adverbs can we tack on to this? Taking 70 years. We're going to pay our house off in 30 years. We're going to, we're going to double our... And God goes, how about, how about one month? How about two weeks? How mm, yeah. How, how many suddenlies happened during that Kairos moment back in February of last year? How about you get well now? How about your son come back tomorrow? How about your son and daughter turn around tomorrow? How about Notice he's not actually prophesying anything specific. Just giving potential ways in which this Kairos moment prophecy, and he's going to make a point that this is a prophecy, is supposed to happen. The next one isn't a miscarriage. I'm saying what's happened over and over, you begin to like just give way to it. That's Kronos. That's the old man. Like life just happened. No, Kronos is not the old man. Kronos is, we all live according to Kronos time. Yeah, it's just how it works. You know, if you have to get up at six in the morning in order to catch a train, in order to make it to work by eight, oh, Kronos is doing his thing with you. Yeah, th what he's saying is nonsense. Happens to you, but all of a sudden, something happens. Something. That divine moments oh. touch favorable people acceleration be ready listen this isn't a message acceleration uh-huh of encouragement this is a prophecy now I, i'm gonna back that up so you can hear it in context he literally is saying this is a prophecy no it's not god didn't tell him this this isn't a word from god god didn't send him to say this favorable people Acceleration. Be ready. Listen, this isn't a message of encouragement. This is a prophecy. I need you to take it differently than you would. I, I love encouraging messages. That's not what this is. This, I assure you, there, this, this is not a prophecy at all. This, this is a divine opportunity for you. No, these are vain words. These, these are your vain imaginations. In fact, you stole this from at least 200 other prophets you've heard use these exact words. And you, you just lifted it up and decided to spew it out as, as a prophecy for Bethel. Yeah, you forget that the internet exists. And I could, I could give you other examples of other people saying this exact same thing. Step into your Kairos moment. Number two, unusual occurrences. Things that never, no, things that never happen occur against ridiculous odds. Uh, 
you you mean like the San Diego Padres winning the World Series? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that ain't going to happen. Things that never happen occur at ridiculous odds. Jonathan's victory is a great example of that. It's in... <sighs> Jonathan and his armor bear. You get the point. But, again, I, I like I said, I've, I've heard this nonsense from hundreds of other uh, so-called prophets. Uh, you know, I've you know, been sitting at Fighting for the Faith doing the podcast for 10 years now. I've been around the block. I used to be in the charismatic movement. And I heard nonsense like this when I was in the movement in the late 80s. And so, yeah, yeah this, is, this is nonsense. And you'll note that the energy level of the people in the audience... Woohoo! Yeah! Yeah. From a guy who, you know, has admitted he's got some pretty serious mental issues. I think that's probably the real source of this. But I can rule out with 100% certainty God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit didn't say any of these words. God the Holy Spirit didn't send Chris Valentin. God the Holy Spirit did not. Say, Chris, I need you to explain to everybody that there's Kairos moments in the near future and suddenlies are going to happen and stuff. Nope, that's not from the Holy Spirit. This guy is a false prophet, a charlatan, and probably not mentally well. That's the proper explanation for what we're hearing coming from Chris Valentin. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. Head to C3 Church as we listen to church volunteer Dana Adams talk about being called to resurgence stay tuned don't want to miss it we'll be right back if you're a weather warrior it's time to lay down your weapons you're listening to fighting for the faith pirate christian radio theater presents death of a salesman are ye a salesman why yes i am can i interest you in some You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Listening to this program right now. Have you ever found yourself wishing there was more Fighting for the Faith content that you could listen to and share with your friends? Well, you're in luck, because we now at Pirate Christian Media have a YouTube channel that we upload content to on a weekly basis. We got programs like Twist Busters. You don't have to be a cessationist. Messed up church, exclusive Skype interviews, pirate gang conversations, and our most popular segment, Dumpster Fire. So if you're looking for some extra pirate Christian media goodness in your life, head on over to YouTube and search for Fighting for the Faith and subscribe. We got ourselves a heretic. (laughs) (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? 
she be endorsing the health and wealth heresy? Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. <laughs> and what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, uh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. <laughs> to err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Two of Fighting for the Faith, Sermon Review Time. But let's do this right. Ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via C3 Church, San Diego, California. This is where Jurgen Athesius holds court. And uh, we're going to be listening to church volunteer Dana Adams deliver the sermon titled Called to Resurgence. And as we listen to Dana, she's going to explain to us that it was God who gave her this word. Yeah, you're attending a church where they claim that they're receiving direct revelation from God. God's talking to them inside of their heads. Run. Run. The uh, lunatics are running the asylum. And you're not going to be taught God's word correctly at all if it even makes any kind of a legitimate appearance. So, I think you get the point. Let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here is church volunteer Dana Adams and called to resurgence. Here we go. I'm really excited about tonight. Um, Yes, it's true. I do oversee our online campus. Um, I've actually been a part of C3 San Diego for about eight and a half years now. So I've done a little bit of everything. Uh, I, I was in assimilation. I did the creative team, the worship team for five years. Um, I did pastoral care. I was the mission outreach coordinator. And then I've had the privilege of overseeing our online campus for the past couple of years. Hello, live stream. So good. Welcome. You're going to have a good time. And you know what? I recognize that I'm actually standing on one of the greatest platforms in one of the greatest churches in the world because of the seed that our pastors, Jurgen and Leanne, have sown. 
So I want to honor it tonight. Because of the seeds they've sown? What do you mean? But I want to do it some justice as well. So I'm actually living proof that this is a house of transformation. So let's put it this way. Um, In 2010, that's when I joined C3. All I can say is if you would have looked up the term mess on legs in a Google search, my photo would have popped up on the first page of that search. You'd have typed in like, what's the opposite of wholeness? Dana Adams. It would have been me. All right. So her, she's basically saying she was really screwed up. Got it. It seems to be a consistent theme. So, no, no, mentally screwed up. Actually came from a really jacked up background. The only way I can conservatively say is that my family kind of put the fun in dysfunctional. So you better believe when I landed on the soil of C3 in 2010, I was super pumped because this was the church that I'd always dreamed about. And you know what? From the very beginning, the people were real. They were healthy. They were kind and human. They were both. They were real. They were fun. And they weren't religious. In fact, I was probably one of the most religious people in the room at that time. So I was just wondering, like, I had seed for a very long time. I felt called by God since I was like three or four years old. Like, I had elders lay hands on me. And I was just trying to figure out what took so long to get here. Like, why didn't I know about this? And, uh, when I asked God about it, he actually said, Dana, it's not a seed issue. I'm so she, she hears voices in her head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she said before she was really screwed up and now she hears voices in her head. God talks to her conversationally. Yeah. No, he, he ain't talking to her. God. I have plenty of seed. He said it's actually been a soil issue. And where there's a soil. Yeah, listen. Whoa. Wow. This is nonsense. Issue. There's generally a climate issue. And so once I transplanted my seed into the fertile soil of C3 San Diego and I put my. Yeah. C3 San Diego ain't fertile soil. No, that's the. It's like there's herbicide on that soil to keep anything really from growing. Because of all the false doctrine that's being spewed and taught there. The roots down. God began to speak to me about cultivating this seed in this new climate and how he was going to unlock the call of God in my life. And there's actually only certain climates that the call of God can be unlocked in. And this is one of them. Really? Yeah. Where in scripture does it say there's only certain climates that the call of God can be unlocked in your life in? No biblical text says that, but who who needs a biblical text when you hear directly from God? So I'm actually coming, like Becky said, I'm actually coming from a place of I am a volunteer. Like, I like to call myself like an, an HLV, like a high-level volunteer. I mean, people think that I work for church. I don't. I'm actually in the marketplace most of the time. I'm just a volunteer. So I'm coming from that place tonight. And so I'm really excited about the Get in the Game series. You know, and as I was praying over this message, um, I was actually researching a, a completely different idea for business. 
And I felt God drop this word into my spirit. You, you did. What did it feel like when it dropped into your spirit? Was there a splash, a plunk, a kerchunk? What happened? Did, did, did a little bell ring like when you get a text message? Ding! Yeah, really, God dropped a word into your spirit. The word resurgence. It was a word that was familiar to me, and I knew it was powerful, but what did it mean? Yeah. So I did what any human would do, and I Googled it. Right, yeah. So no, we're, we're engaging in exegesis now of the word of God. She received that, you know, arrived inside of her heart. So she, she's going to look up maybe the Hebrew and the Greek um, in order to sort this all out, you know. So resurgence by Google definition is an increase or revival after a period of little activity, popularity, or occurrence. A rising again into life, activity, or prominence. Yeah, yeah. What's the Greek word for resurgence? I'm curious. Hebrew? Do you know? Yeah. Okay. An increase of activity or interest in a particular subject or idea, which has been forgotten for some time. A resurrection, the act of coming back to life. Mm. I got so choked up when I heard. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can feel tears. They're, they're close. They're almost here for me. Yeah. That because it 100% embodied my experience here since I put my roots down at C3. See, what resurgence looks like in the church is God putting our seed in fertile soil and then cultivating it in a climate of serving a greater vision. See, the majority of us I know come from broken, dysfunctional backgrounds in one or more areas of our life. But God calls us out of the dysfunction, out of the brokenness, out of the isolation into an environment of connection with people who are unified under one purpose because it's his way of giving us one key to unlock the cell of our prison. Yeah. Do you have a biblical text that says any of these things? Because it just sounds like you're like, you know, you know, freewheeling this off the top of your head. The other keys to open the gates of our destiny. See, by God's design, we were never meant to live dormant, vacant lives full of backwardness and delay. Right, yeah. No backwardsness and delay has ever been part of, you know, Christianity, you know, since, you know, yesterday. But sometimes life or past circumstances get in the way, don't they? So then our past becomes our present, and our present becomes our future. Uh, uh-huh. But church, God didn't create us to repeat history. No, no, no. We're, we're going to make our own history and stuff. Because that's apparently what we were made for. Yeah. He created us to make history. Yay. Where in scripture does it say that again? I'm curious. So tonight, my desire is to actually help us get rid of the things that keep us from getting in the game. That keep us from going all in. 
such so as even if we such, such as what, what, what's keeping me from going all in we've been in this in the soil for some time it's actually a good reminder to see where we are in the process because sometimes the fire can grow dim and go out without us even recognizing it yeah that metaphor doesn't make any sense you were talking about seeds and soil and then all of a sudden fire shows up as part of your metaphor how how does that work exactly the title of my message tonight is called to resurgence. Yeah, because this just arrived inside your heart. Yeah, we got that. See, when God wants to change the climate of your life, he's very intentional with his plan for your resurgence. So, he's got- so God wants to change the climate through a planned resurgence. Yeah, not sure what that means. He's got a vetting process. Right. That vetting process is called serving. Mm. Every solution that you need for your life is directly correlated to being a part of the solution. And the solution is the church. What, what exactly is the problem again? Serving is the life that God designed and uniquely created. That's where it begins. It's a training field for spiritual growth and conditioning needed to actually unlock the call of God on our life. So you know, in, in order to unlock God's call, I got to volunteer at a mega church. You, you sure the Bible says that? You know, I kind of think of it as like a physical gym. Okay. You know, a lot of people ask me, Dana. Like, how do you stay in such good shape? Like, you're really a busy person. Like, how do you have all that time to work out or whatever? And I just, I honestly tell them, I go beast mode. (laughs) Beast mode. Right. Is is that a demonic mode? Leandra Foster keeps me in shape. That's what she does. (laughs) Seriously, when you go over there? The only break that you get is from one station to the next until like the whole, she keeps me in shape. But Leandra, to be quite honest, there's a hidden agenda because I don't have children, but I'm like taking mental notes. Like literally the other day I'm over there and I really think I'm doing really well lifting this really heavy kettlebell and doing squats, like going at it. And then I see this kid, like he starts going, you know whining, being upset or whatever. And the mom like picks up the kid and starts doing squats with the kid. I'm like taking mental future mom goal notes. Seriously. It's brilliant actually, because if you can console your child and look good in a pair of skinny jeans, sign me up for that. And where, where's Mitchell R.C.? I saw him here earlier. Where's it? It's his birthday today. Cultivating fitness. That guy knows how to stabilize a core. Let me tell you. Well, they're having a good time during this message. They're not learning nothing. I mean, truth, God's truth is, hasn't entered the building at all yet. Uh, probably won't make an appearance at this rate. They're both personal trainers, okay? And they can agree with me that, and I have like this little analogy anytime anyone asks me how I stay into shape. Like, this is what I say. And I'll demonstrate in case you don't understand. I'll be careful in the dress, though. So I tell people that your deadlifts 
have to be greater than or equal to your forklifts. Okay. Same for the physical, same for the spiritual. There's a process to transformation. You can't always keep feeding and never lift any weight and expect a transformation. It doesn't happen that way. Yeah, shouting doesn't make it true, by the way. Am I right? But what I love about our church is that we actually create a very healthy balance to help you with that. It's called soaking and serving. So in one service, you're going to soak, you're going to receive, you're going to get ministered to, you're going to get fed. And in the next service, you're going to so- you're going to serve. Yeah, which service do you actually get fed God's word properly taught? I I haven't seen any evidence of that service on any of your podcasts. You're going to pick up some weight. And you know what? Nine times out of ten, you're going to get ministered to and fed when you're serving. There has to be a process to transformation. Okay. See, serving keeps us in connection to God and people. It actually challenges us to live a life beyond ourselves. And faithfulness in serving is actually God's. Yeah, don't, don't like parents like serve their children you know, and serve each other. I mean, how come you're talking about like church volunteer work and stuff rather than pointing them to the work that they're already doing that scripture says in Ephesians six are good works. Litmus test for the heart. First Samuel 16, seven new King James version says this for the Lord does not see as man sees for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, it's God who works on your heart, but he actually does it in connection with people. See, when you start serving on a team... You just added that part, in connection with people. Yeah, that, 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 by the way, was a reference to the fact that God had chosen David to be king and not any of his brothers. Yeah, just pointing that out. But... um. Yeah, so what what she just added to that is not part of the text, and that is the problem. Team, you put yourself in a place of vulnerability so that people can see your stuff and speak into it. And he actually strategically... So, So I need people to see my stuff so they can speak into it. I have no idea what that means either places leaders in your life and their main job is to help you deal with the stuff. See, when I, when I signed up for a team, for me, it was a no brainer. You actually didn't have to twist my arms. I actually saw the fruit of transformed lives week in and week out. But what I didn't know is by signing up for this, that the package actually included my total transformation, my total healing, my deliverance, that I would start prospering, that I would dominate the marketplace, that I'd be a two-time homeowner, that I'd have the best vacations, the best friends. Are those the fruit of the Spirit? You don't have to be a Christian to, you know, do any of those things. That God would actually give me a family when I didn't have one. Has anyone met the Davises? Ron, Quacha, Pam, Susan? That is a harvest. You know what? I'm going to be 36 on Friday. 
but yeah, where'd you go to seminary, by the way? Because you know, scripture forbids you from doing what you're actually doing right now. You know, by preaching the sermon. Yeah, where'd you go to seminary? By being in that family, actually, I don't even age the same, and I'll tell you why. My sister Pam likes to remind me, Dana, when you're 50% black, black don't crack. Black don't crack. I don't even age. They really are having a great time there. They're they're learning nothing. <laughs> Scripture. But man, it there it is a lot of fun, you know. <laughs> I just decided, I didn't know that was going to be in the package. I just decided. What happened? I just decided I was just going to follow after a vision that was placed in the hearts of Pastor Jurgen and Leanne. Yeah, God didn't put no vision there. Yeah. Of the part that I specifically had to play. And by far, I've received much more life than I've laid down. Which brings me to the first point. Finally, yeah, 13 minutes into this thing. And finally, point number one. Resurgence begins by serving another man's vision. Uh, no biblical text says that. That's creepy and weird and kind of cult-like. Luke sixteen twelve says this. And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? That's not talking about a vision. Oh my goodness. Wow, that was uh unbelievable. Luke 16:12. Our three rules for sound biblical exegesis are context, context, context. Uh Jesus said, "One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous in unrighteousness, unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's literally what's going on here. And uh, and if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is not which is not your own? Yeah, you, you see you see what's what's going on there? She just twisted this text. It's not about serving another man's so-called vision from God. This is wow. You know, I, I think of the blueprint that Pastor Jurgen and Leanne have so gracefully set for us. You know, they had it in their heart to build a church on the Gold Coast of Australia after all those years of youth ministry. But then Dr. Phil Pringle, who's over our entire movement, says, Yeah, who is a false teacher and false prophet himself? I want you to think about planning a church in C3 or in San Diego. And... You know, that would require that they go from all of the familiar, everything, their family, their friends, their following, their connection to a place they'd never even been before. No family, no friends, no connection, no following. But thank God that our pastors traveled across the world to bring something to San Diego that it didn't have, a living, breathing, spirit-filled church operating in the power. Yeah, so there were no spirit-filled churches in all of San Diego. God the Holy Spirit didn't enter a single church anywhere in San Diego until Jurgen Mathesius showed up. Yeah, that, that, that's that's what she said.
power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. So we're now standing in the harvest field of one of the greatest churches in the world because they did. Yeah, no, the, the fact that you're preaching the sermon shows that that's, this isn't one of the greatest churches in the world. It's the opposite of what you just said. What was in another man's heart. And you know why? God gave them an ever-expanding vision of their own. 16 locations, and we're still going. Yeah, again, that's not good news, because they don't preach God's word correctly at all there at C3 San Diego. You know, I think it's so like God to put a vision in one man's heart to be fulfilled by him. You think that's what God's like? Well, if God were going to be doing that, don't you think his word would be saying that? Yeah, vision casting is not taught in Scripture. Another man. And we see this blueprint so many times in the Bible. I love the story in 2 Samuel 7 where King David has this desire to build a house for the Lord, this magnificent house. Yeah, he didn't get to do it, though. Yeah, no, God didn't allow him. He's got the blueprints. He's got it all planned out. And then God speaks through Nathan the prophet. and tells and You'll note something here. David didn't receive a vision from God for building the temple in Jerusalem. That was the desire of his heart. Nathan the prophet initially said, yeah, go for it. And then God said, no. So it, do, it didn't come from God. Just, just want to make that clear. Awesome. Actually, you're not going to build a house because you've been a man of war, a man of bloodshed. It's actually going to be your seed. He's going to be a man of rest, a man of peace. He's going to be the one to build my house. But you know what? I love David's response. And it was really obvious that he'd been through quite a vetting process of his own. We know that he shepherded the fields like he served his brothers, his father, his nation. But just listen to how mature and how quickly he responds. I'm going to read a little bit of scripture because I want to elaborate. Just what his response was. It was amazing. So later in 1 Chronicles 22, 7 through 16, I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, You've shed much blood and have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name because you've shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon for I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name and he shall be my son and I will be his father and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Then you will prosper if you take care to fulfill the statutes and judgments with which the Lord charged Moses concerning Israel. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Indeed, I have taken much trouble to prepare for the house of the Lord. 100,000 talents of gold and 1 million talents of silver and bronze and iron beyond measure for it is so abundant. I have prepared timber and stone also, and you may add to them. Moreover, there are workmen with you in abundance, woodsmen and stonecutters and all types of skillful men for every kind of work of gold and silver and bronze and iron. There is no limit. Arise and begin working and the Lord be with you. That is so powerful. And I love that David put aside that desire that he had in his heart to fulfill what was in God's heart.
And he took responsibility not just to communicate that vision to his son Solomon. He actually... Yeah, a little bit of a note here. This doesn't teach the doctrine of vision casting. Descriptive text, not a prescriptive text. And you know, to turn this into... Now my pastor, Jürgen Mathesius, has a vision from God on 16, 17 locations in San Diego. Yeah, no, it doesn't work that way released his son Solomon to fulfill the vision. And he didn't just release his son Solomon to fulfill the vision. He resourced it. I think I'm talking to some marketplace people in here. Sounds like a good job. Yeah, you need to, you need to resource the vision for Jürgen Mathesius. For us. That's one of the greatest gifts you can have if you have is to resource the vision of the next generation. You know, I think about Abraham's faithfulness in Genesis 13, where God asked him to leave his family, leave everything, his riches, his livestock, the well-watered plains of a Jordan, and go to a place where God would show him on a word that just said, if you lift up your eyes from the place where you are and see, I'll give you descendants that are too numerous to count. And he was promised this inheritance. And you know, you and I are still walking in that inheritance but he was believing for a son of promise. And you know, his journey of faith wasn't perfect, but he did obey God. And because of his faith to obey what was in God's heart, he did get that son of promise, Isaac. We know that he wasn't, his wife and him, they were 90s and 100. They weren't even in childbearing age, but God came through to give him that son of promise. It was a nine year vision that he had to walk out. You know, and I think about Hannah, in the book of Samuel, who also was believing for a son of promise. But she had a prolonged season of barrenness. And she, act, she actually had to work that out in an environment of mockery and injustice. But she committed herself to coming to the house of the Lord to actually pray that son of promise into fruition. Just to immediately turn him around and give him to God. And we know at a young age, because of Hannah's faith, to soak his future in fervent prayer, that it, Samuel delivered the word of the Lord in a day that it was rare. Note we're not hearing any kind of a right handling of God's word or even a proper exegesis at all from a woman who shouldn't even be doing what she's doing. He shifted an entire generation. He anointed. He shifted. Yeah, this is charismatic nonsense talk. Did the first kings. He was a mark that that particular generation needed. See, God began to speak to me about these examples. And I think this is what he's speaking to us tonight. That it took David's process to make a Solomon. It took Abraham's process. Uh, what? make an Isaac. It took Hannah's process to make a Samuel because he had to show us that he's not just the me, myself, and I, God. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So even though we live in a generation of immediate gratification in the microwave generation, we have to know that it's not just a me call. It's not just a you call. It's a next generation call. And I know. Uh, okay. Our church where he can call the Davids to produce the Solomons, where he can call the Abraham. What you're saying doesn't make any lucid sense. 
Abrahams to produce the Isaacs, where he can call the Hannahs to produce the Samuels. Yeah, they were produced via the normal way humans are produced. Yeah, birds and bees kind of stuff. You know, as uniquely crafted as we are in the hands of God, he created us with generations in mind. He created us with prime in mind, created us with society. Again, how are you saying these things without any biblical texts? Society in mind, my city alliance, C3 kids, he created us, but with the intention of empowering us to serve a greater vision that should greatly exceed our lifetime. So the next part of being called to resurgence is actually choosing to participate in your own miracle. What? So I've been through the first part of this process. I got my seed down the fertile soil and began serving a greater vision. But I really felt like I was ready for the next step of this vetting process. And I was already serving on a team. But I still knew I had a lot of dysfunction. And so I wanted to fully immerse myself in serving with a whole heart. So I actually paid to volunteer more. I paid to volunteer more and I joined the internship. And I started serving under the beautiful Pastor Stacy, who's on the front row. And we are the greatest of friends now. Look at all that's happened. We just celebrated her birthday in Napa. It was amazing. So I was kind of a a rare breed in the way that I approached this. So um, the first day of my internship, we were actually sitting down. You know, Stacey knew me, but she didn't really know my whole history. And so we're at lunch, and I'm I'm kind of telling her everything. And she's like, wow, wow, you're kind of next level. Kind of got like a crazy, crazy background. So, yeah, there's a bit of a shock factor. But um, I remember her asking me a really specific question. She said, Dana, what is it that you want to receive from the internship? So because I'm kind of sweet and a bit cheeky, I gave her a twofold answer. So in one hand, you know, it was, it was sweet and sincere. Um, I said, you know, I want to know everything that goes on to make a Sunday a Sunday. Because I've never seen anything like this. And I knew that pastoral care was actually involved in every area of the church. On the other hand, the cheeky side of me just looked her straight in the face and said, listen, I am super jacked up. Like, I'm not the last person to find out that I'm jacked up. I know I'm jacked up and whatever I need to do to get unjacked up, just tell me and I'll do it. So after hearing my whole history, she said, uh, yes, we're going to sign you up for professional counseling. And I really love this about our church because when, when someone's next level jacked up, we don't try to be all things to all people. We actually consult the experts. You know, and while Stacy loved me and she supported me and she helped me navigate through the whole process, she didn't hold my hand. 
She actually. Em- so you'll note a woman who is very honest and candid about the fact that she's yeah got issues. And um, that, that it requires counseling. She's still permitted to stand up and preach a sermon, which God's word forbids her from doing, and claim that she's hearing voices in her head and that voice is God, and everyone believes that she's actually hearing from God rather than putting two and two together and going, yeah, that's, that's, that's not God. Empower me to be led by the Holy Spirit to participate in my own miracle. And by far, it's one of the greatest miracles I've ever experienced. See, in order to become the woman that I knew that God had called me to be, I actually had to let him come heal the little girl that I used to be. See, I knew that this step was really foundational because I knew I was called to be a minister. And I didn't want to... Yeah, no, God doesn't call women to be pastors. Minister out of a wound and bleed on people when I'm called to empower them. So we know hurt people hurt people, but heal people, heal people, empower people, empower people. So in order for God to completely heal me of 30 plus years of internal damage, I had been physically abused, emotionally abused, mentally abused, spiritually abused, verbally abused, you name it. But God had to separate me from that source of dysfunction. And he had to ask me to completely separate from my earthly family. Because he had to get me to leave the Egypt, the land of bondage. So that he could actually get the Egypt, the dysfunction out of me. And he had to separate me. Yeah, now that sounds spiritual and stuff, um, but that's a misapplication of the uh, Egyptian theme and type and shadow in scripture. From that environment and bring me into this environment where his surgeon's hands could go to work in my life. Because he had called me to be the deal breaker. He called me to sever the cord of dysfunction that had been plaguing my family for generations. So I came from a very long line of mental illness, of depression. See, here we go again. Candidly talking about mental illness. Yet she hears voices in her head, and that voice is supposed to be God. Uh Uh-huh of alcoholism, of drug abuse, attempted suicide, you name it. But God had to show me that I was none of those things. And I remember, I remember in this season, he spoke to me, he said, Dana, be content to remain in obscurity. Be content to remain hidden. Because I'm going to strip you from everything that you've attached your identity to. And I'm going to give you my version of you. So the voice inside your head, the woman who's openly admitted she suffers from mental illness, that's supposed to be God. And yet the things that God is saying are not consistent with what God has said in his written word. See the problem here? And he gave me permission. He said, Dana, if you give me your worst, I'll give you my best. He he did, really. Okay. And that's exactly what he's done. 
See, nothing about that experience was comfortable. I'm going to start talking about some things right now that I really feel is a cry. In the heart of our church, I hear it in a lot of conversations, and it's a, it's a total disqualifier. So I want to bring some, some teaching around it tonight, actually, and some, some education. But, you know, during this time where I left my family, if anybody's ever set the boundary in a toxic relationship for the first time, it doesn't go well. My mom, who was completely tormented by mental illness, and we all know that's really demonic oppression, she threatened my life. Uh, She spoke words over me that you wouldn't speak to your worst enemy. And there were so many times where I actually had to renounce the curses that she placed over my family, my future family, my marriage, my children, my future. And there was these countless voicemails and and text messages and emails. And because I'm kind of cheeky and, you know, I was just having to get through that process, it was a difficult thing. I like to call these types of emails and texts three scrollers. The only way I can describe it is if you have a cell phone and you have this really long toxic message, like full of just venomous stuff, you scroll, that's one. And you keep scrolling... It's still there. That's two. You keep scrolling. It's three times. Three times. That's without the assistance of Siri or like Erica, the virtual assistant. But I'm going to tell you what my spirit-filled Christian counselor told me. She said, Dana, that is not a human. That is the devil. And I don't care if they're your parents, if they're your friend, if they're a coworker, if they're a boss, that is not okay. That is dysfunctional. It's chaotic. And that is not from God. God is a God of disorder. You need to delete it. You need to block it because it's a wrecking ball and it will ruin your life. And I want. So now, now she's sharing. What her therapist said about the type of abusive voicemails her mother leaves her. Okay. I want to be careful around this kind of thing because I did this with professional counseling. And it wasn't easy. It, was, it wasn't an overnight process. But with her and with the Holy Spirit, I actually learned to fight the right battle. See, the, the battle was never with my mom. My mom actually had... Self-loathing. She saw the world through a filter of self-loathing. She couldn't love me because she didn't love herself. It was an Ephesians six twelve fight that, that the battle was not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. And so the devil would really love to get us focused on a person or a circumstance instead of the devils that are behind them. So I began to fight those devils. And you know... It really set me up to love my mom unconditionally. It really put me in a position to actually be there for her in a moment where she needed it. So the worst thing that happened, I did share it a little bit over my offering message, was my mom had threatened to take her life and she blamed it on me. And she actually did go forward with that this past June. And because I learned to fight the right battle... Early June, I get this phone call about 5 a.m., and it's my brother, and I know I knew what it was. And I picked up the phone, and he, he told me that my mom had shot herself, that she shot herself. 
And he said, she's on her way. She's still alive. She's still alive. I'll call you back in a couple hours. And you know, nothing can prepare you for a moment like this. Like, but I just remembered as I was trying to trace my thoughts, like I remembered that process that I went through and it put a strength on the inside of me. And so in that moment, when that strength rose up, I actually went You know, I was shaking for a while and had to kind of get myself together. But after that, I went and I got the emblems and I took communion and I contacted our pastors and some leaders and I asked them to pray mercy for my mother. And so I took the emblems and I said, my mother will live and she will not die and she will live to declare the works of the Lord. And I declared it and I declared it and I declared it until I heard that she actually did survive. And I know that it's because of a praying church. And I know it's because I learned to fight the right battles. See, I could be the miracle that she needed. And All glory to you, Dana. Wow. In that situation, because I chose to participate in my own miracle. See, I might have come in as a mess on legs, but God used the journey of serving in his house to put me through the faith building process of working out that mess because he had to use the valleys to carve out the maturity needed to be able to handle the blessing. So God uses valleys to carve things. Uh Uh-huh. Blessings of the mountaintops. See, God uses the process of serving others, not so much to set us aside, but to set us apart. See, God, he'll always set you aside before he sets you apart. He'll set you aside to set you apart. Where in scripture does it say that? Or he'll set you out on display. Because he needs to deal with the dark things in the secret place so that his glory can get revealed in the public place. Okay, so, yeah, he needs to do things in the secret place before the public place. Yeah, Do you have a text for that? You know what God did? Restore me to my original me. You know? No. (laughs) Yeah. If you're talking about the original you being like the sinless Dana, the sinless Dana who would have existed had Adam and Eve not sinned against God, you're far from that person. Really, really, really far. So am I. You know what? I like being an original. I love being the original. Why would I want to be? Yeah, you sure do like talking a lot about yourself. Um, does Jesus play into this at all? I mean, the miracle that you talked about, pretty much all the glory went to you. Does Jesus have anything to do with any of this stuff? Be a copycat of someone else when God made me to be an original. And I don't know why we do that anyways. They're, people are already taken. You're the original. I'm the original. Yeah, you're the bee's knees, you know. Wake up to your true identity. You'll love the lane that you're in. I love my lane. Don't get in it. I love my lane. I get to lay hands on the sick and see them recover in my lane. I get to deal with some devils and set people free of demonic oppression in my lane. I get to create wealth 
for the next generation. For the vi- you, you do okay. Vision of the next generation in my lane. I love my lane. When you find your lane, you'll never want to be in anyone else's lane. Only you can do in your lane what you can do. You know, the best part of the process is truly the best part. And that's my last point. Resurgence results in becoming the miracle for others. So I just explained how I was able to become the miracle for my mom in her time of need. And, you know, by now you guys know about my financial blessings. I've done a few offering messages. I'm just going to say that wealth is a mindset. And that got cultivated in the... So she, she's a wealthy, mentally ill person. Got it. In this house. So, yes, I will do the ridiculous and I will see the miraculous. And I don't think there's a greater gift that you can have but to be a blessing to other people. I'm excited about that gift. It's a great gift to have. But what I actually started to recognize was the transformation in my inner world began to translate itself in my outer world. You know, and there are times where God used me in the middle of my mess. Things are messy a lot, often more than not. Don't let that disqualify you. I think only Jesus had it all together. He was pretty... Yeah, I'm glad we were able to hear something about Jesus, yeah. Pretty much the perfect one. Pretty much, yeah. He was the spotless lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and he never committed any sins. Uh, yeah. So that he could bleed and die for hours. Yeah. Pretty much. <sighs> so you work out that mess in connection with people. Just stay faithful when things are messy. Can I just encourage you? Yeah. When things are messy, just stay, stay faithful, man. Yeah. I don't even know what that means, but whew. So, you know, just as I was coming to the end of my internship, God began to start using me in the marketplace as a minister. You know, I'd never thought about that. And he had gotten rid of so many things that I was actually able to hear his voice very clearly. Again, the woman who candidly admits that she's mentally ill hears voices inside of her head and thinks it's God. And I remember this one day. I was at the bedside of a patient, and he was in end-stage liver disease and desperately needed a liver transplant or he wouldn't survive. And unfortunately, there wasn't a transplant candidate available, and he was too sick. And Cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience. Uh, motivating them to make a decision of one kind or another. Not sure what we're supposed to be deciding here today, but wow, this has been a barn burner. I saw the doctors and the transplant surgeons in the room. And, uh, you know, the transplant surgeons are generally the last people to actually say, take them off life support, pull the plug. But even in this case, they were saying, you know, it's time take them off life life support, make them comfortable. And I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. And he said, Dana, this man's going to get a liver and I'm going to need you to intervene on this situation. And I was like, where's the relief nurse? It's time for my lunch break. (laughs) I mean, I had never even really laid hands on people. And it's like, can I just get my feet wet? The Holy Spirit spoke to me very clearly. He said, Dana, 
Did you want to lay hands on the sick or not? Are you all out or are you all in? Faith and fear can't compete in this situation. So as the doctors walked out, you know, I walked in the room and the wife looked at me and she did something that rarely people do. Like nurses are always involved in the decision-making, but we're not the ones directly responsible for making any kind of decision. But she looked at me and she said, Dana, if you were in this situation, what would you do? So with courage, and I wanted to pee my pants. I said, you know, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I have a really strong, strong feeling that your husband's going to get a liver. And if you're willing to go the journey, I'm willing to go it with you. And she goes, I don't know why I think you're right, but I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to keep him on life support. I'm going to go full court. And so the doctors are kind of used to like people making crazy decisions. So they just kind of went with it like, okay, here we go. And I didn't know that for the next three months, I was going to actually have to work that miracle out. Every day. You were. You had to work the miracle out. You must be a divinity. Every day for three months, I walked in and this patient was my assignment. Every day I went full court press for this man. He was bleeding from everywhere because of his liver failure. We had to transfuse multiple blood products. We lost count. The nurses actually memorized his blood band number. There would be times where there were residents holding pressure on his arteries just to keep him from exsanguinating, from bleeding out. But do you know, many months later, that window of opportunity came. And he did actually have a liver transplant donor. And he was actually well enough to be able to withgo the surgery. And so I was actually off the next day. And I get a text from a coworker who knew I'd been so involved with this family. And she said, Dana, you wouldn't believe it. She said, Mr. Let's just call him Brown, you know, for patient privacy. Mr. Brown got his liver today. And when he, when he was in the OR, they barely had to give him a blood product. He got his liver transplant and his liver is working perfectly. complications but the liver was always perfect just like now a little bit of a note here um he didn't miraculously have his original liver just start working properly again no i mean this is a story of near death hanging on to life with life support finally getting a liver transplant and it working yeah th- this can be attributed to medicine granted god is the one who is assisting here but in the truest sense of the word this is not a miracle this is providence like god said it would be and do you know a couple days later i walk in the icu i walk down the hall and i look into the room and i see her with her husband and she looks at me and she turns away really quickly and she begins to sob actually 
didn't really feel like I was supposed to intervene during that time. So I actually did a couple of days later, I talked to her and she said, Dana, you know, when I saw you, I had to turn away and I sobbed because I remember that you told me to keep my husband on life support. And if it hadn't been for your faith, my husband wouldn't be alive. See, God had radically healed me so I could actually now become a minister of healing. He took me on this journey to walk away from my family and break free of these toxic environments I have myself in so he could now bring me into an environment to now bring healing. You know, if I could handle other people's life and death situations, you know, it's because... No, she's the one bringing the healing. Check. Because I was able to handle my own. See, from the very beginning... God has had a plan for our resurgence. You know, he's always about bringing people back to life in his own time and in his own way, which is becoming the greatest servant of others. You know, when we lay down our lives to bring life to others, we come alive. You know, it's weird. Um, Jesus actually, in reality, laid down his life so that we might live. That's what the cross was all about. It's weird how you're talking about you laying down your life. Are you a, a, an anointed one? Are, are you a Christos? Are you a little Christ? Because you sure are preaching about yourself as if you are. And we answer the call to resurgence. You know, as we come to a close, I think the most perfect and influential example of someone who answered their call to resurgence and completely fulfilled it was Jesus. Yeah. He, he's even a better example of that than Dana is. How humble of her to know that. I love Matthew twenty twenty eight. the message. It says it best. It says no, that, nothing from the message says it best. That is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve not be served, and then to give away his life in exchange for the many who are held hostage. I think some of us tonight might have felt hostage, held hostage by the circumstances of life. He's talking about actually held hostage under the dominion of darkness. You know, the devil, sin, death, you know, things like that. But you know, Jesus had his own vetting process. See, Jesus had to go. Did he work as a volunteer at the parking lot at the local mega synagogue in Nazareth? I'm just curious. Go through the process of crucifixion so that he could experience the resurrection. Oh, my word. She did not just do that. Oh, yeah, she did that. <sighs> Hang on. I, I do have to back this up just a smudge. I want you to hear that again. Listen to what she said. Says of crucifixion so that he could experience the resurrection. Yeah, see, that was his vetting process. He had to go through crucifixion so that he can finally experience resurrection. This, this woman has no clue about what Jesus was really doing on the cross. So that we can live the resurrected life. So that he could call us into a life of resurgence. So he can call us into a life. What on earth? Where are you getting that from? He gave his life so that we could find ours. I love Hebrews 12 too. 
says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That who and that joy was you and I. He actually chose us before we ever even chose him. You didn't choose him. Ever. You know, I wrote a book and published a book in 2015 about this very process called Wound Care Healing from the Inside Out. But you know what? I would never have finished writing that book and published and have published it if I'd have stayed stuck in the first chapter, the wound. So tonight, I think the greatest servant of people, Jesus, wants to help you rewrite your story. He does? He wants to help you reach your full potential. He does? By allowing him to change that inner narrative that maybe you may have written about yourself. Huh? And tonight, all you have to do is turn the page. Start a new chapter. Yes, all I got to do is turn the page. I have no idea what any of that means. So there you go. Um, Dana Adams, um, church volunteer extraordinaire. Um, And uh, clearly she's, um, by her own admission, you know, a hot mess and suffers from mental illness and is a victim of abuse. And yet the voices inside of her head are God. And and yet the clear written word of God forbids her from doing what she just did that we reviewed. And the things she said, no biblical text says anywhere. And uh, boy, she really was smitten with herself too. Wow. So there you go. Uh, C3 Church, one of the greatest churches in all the world. No, they're not. No, they're not at all. So what would you think? Uh, I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.